Welcome to the 10 Golden Rules of Internet Marketing for Law Firms podcast, featuring the latest strategies and techniques to drive traffic to your website and convert that traffic into clients. Now, here's the founder and CEO of 10 Golden Rules, Jay Berkowitz. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to this month's webinar. As you can see, we have an all-star panel. We're going to be talking about Tech Talk for Lawyers today. My name is Jay Berkowitz, and I'll introduce the all-star panel in just one minute. I just wanted to touch on a, a little bit of background about technology for lawyers. Then we'll talk about the specific. Thank you for being here. You made it here. You took time away whether you're watching live or you're on the stream or you're watching after the fact on YouTube, you know, you had other things to do, but you're one of the people who cares about improving your business and you like to use technology to get ahead. You know, you're really one of the rock stars. And what I've seen is the people who invest time in sessions like this, the people who really are in continuous improvement with their business, the law firms that are running EOS, like the people who are really doing it right and committed to, to improving. You know, generally their businesses are one to two X times uh, the firms that don't invest the time. So you guys are the rock stars. Thank you for being here. I always like to start talking about technology back in 1997. And the, the first time I realized the computers were coming for us was when IBM's Deep Blue beat uh, world chess champion Gary Kasparov in a two out of three match in chess. Now, we all thought that co computers were pretty good at checkers or you know, adding, things like that. But chess, which includes, you know, art and science and planning and three steps ahead, you know, when a computer beat the world chess champion, it was like, whoa, you know, this is pretty serious. And then in 2011, Watson won Jeopardy, beating Ken Jennings and all the other, um, you know, top Jeopardy champions. 2018, a software called LawGeeks was pitted against 20 attorneys in doing contract analysis. And the law geeks had 94% accuracy. The attorneys were only 85% accurate. The attorneys took 92 minutes. Law geeks took only 26 seconds to complete the task. And of course, most of us have heard that the latest version, so ChatGPT4, aced the bar exam, scoring in the 90th percentile. ChatGPT35 had passed the bar exam, but version 4 scored in the 90th percentile. So I think we know that this AI stuff is for real, it's here. And we're gonna, we're gonna meet some AI companies, some technology companies here today. But I wanna also differentiate, because a lot of people think ChatGPT is AI, but ChatGPT and Google's competitor, which is trailing fast on the heels of ChatGPT, are what's called generative AI chatbots. But they're just two of many, many artificial intelligence companies. Matter of fact, I looked it up, there's already 126 unicorns, meaning AI companies with a billion dollar valuation. There's 126 of them. So there's uh, AI companies in every category um, and particularly in the legal space, uh, which is what we're going to address today. But I always like to differentiate, you know, what is ChatGPT um, and especially relevant to law firms? Like, first of all, it's a new search engine that in ways is going to compete with Google and it's already started that competition, right? Because a lot of us are doing searches 
in ChatGPT that we would have done before in Google. And you achieve a new paradigm in your mind. You're like, well, if I want to find out how to write an employment offer, I'm, I could search that in Google and I'll get a whole bunch of employment offers. Or I can put sophisticated prompts, what we call prompts, messaging into ChatGPT, and it'll write a draft to that employment offer, and it'll get it 90% right, and then I can fix it. So a lot of us have realized that there's things we're going to search in ChatGPT that we might have searched for in Google before. So clearly, it's taking a little bit of market share from Google. I'll address that in a minute. It's also a valuable new tool. So on one hand, it's, it's things you're going to search, but on the other hand, we can use it for the task I just talked about. We can use it for a lot of legal tasks and a lot of personal productivity tasks. So I like to, to break it down into these two sections. Now, in terms of the actual market share and what's happening in the market, OpenAI and ChatGPT is now the number 22 website um, in the world, but it actually has fallen back a little bit. So we've seen the traffic fall down a little bit over the summer. Maybe it'll pick up again once the kids are back in school, but you know, the, I think my initial take and, and, and you know, sort of based on myself and other people, a lot of people thought this thing was amazing. We got in there, we used it like crazy. And then after a while, you're like, okay, it's good for that. But, you know, the, the, the hype kind of backed off a little bit. So it went from about 18 or 19 to number 22. But make no mistake, Google and YouTube are the one and two, number one and two sites in the world. So Google is still in a massively dominant position. Google owns YouTube, of course. So, you know, you Google-owned sites are the one and two and, and with far lead of anything in the world. Now, Microsoft and Bing invested over $10 billion into ChatGPT, uh, OpenAI, the company. And, you know, the new Bing is here, but I would argue that the new Bing is still a mess. It still kind of looks like the old Bing. And although there's some testing going on, in the labs products, both on ChatGPT and in Google. You know, they're both some time away from looking like a finished search product. And frankly, Google has been using artificial intelligence in their search results for many, many years now. So, you know, realistically, I don't see the search market changing dramatically anytime, you know, in the next six, six or 12 months. Uh, so, you know, it's really situation normal for now, in my opinion. So, you know, that's kind of like my headline on, on technology. And so today, we're not going to spend a lot of time on ChatGPT. We have a couple other ChatGPT webinars. So if you want to go into detail, please go to our YouTube channel at 10 Golden Rules, where we have all of our historical webinars. First, I'll quickly introduce myself, and then we'll uh, meet the panel, and we'll get into some of the expert presentations. According to our promotion for this event, I'm an author, educator, thought leader, for the past 25 years, I've been leading uh, Fortune 500 companies, but really for the last 20 years, I've been focused on 10 golden rules. We actually just celebrated our 20th anniversary last Tuesday, and so we'll be having a number of events over the next year to celebrate 20 years as 10 golden rules. And what we do is we do internet marketing for law firms. We're really focused on uh, Google and new websites and helping uh, folks figure their way through all this stuff. And that's why we do these sessions. So I'll just quickly introduce the panel and then we'll turn over to them one by one uh, to share slides in their presentation. So uh, Ken uh, Kauzi is uh, with Longest Tail AI and it's a super cool uh, new type of artificial intelligence that's playing in the search 
engine optimization space. I thought y'all would appreciate meeting Ken today. And Patrice Jimenez worked for 20 or 25 years at one of the top case management softwares in the world. And so she's going to be breaking down case management and what basically what you want to decide in choosing a new case management software. Eric Baum is with Parrot AI, super cool new technology that does legal transcriptions, basically. Matt McClellan is with Hona, and I spent uh, most of last week at a trade show with, with Matt's team. And that software is fantastic for once you sign a client and doing the ongoing client communications. And Amir Sachs is an expert in website and IT security. And there's a huge risk today of your website and your entire database getting hacked and the hackers putting you up for ransom for Bitcoin. So Amir is going to give us the basics to protect our websites and our databases. And of course, for lawyers, it's super important. So without further ado, I think first up in my slides is Eric. He's the visionary founder of Parrot.ai. It leverages AI to transform the legal landscape. Uh, he pioneered innovative solutions that streamline court reporting and other legal tasks to revolutionize how legal professionals work. He's been a driving uh, force behind the adoption in AI, and he's at the forefront of cutting edge technology. So without further ado. Thank you, Jay. Thank you so much. My name is Eric Baum. I am an attorney based out of Florida. I was a prosecutor for 10 years in Palm Beach County, focusing mainly on internet crime, prosecuting internet crimes against children, human trafficking, and other sex crimes. And started uh, invo getting involved in legal technology after just seeing huge major inefficiencies on the court reporting and transcription side, particularly the inability to get fast, accurate, efficient transcripts uh, for attorneys. So let's start with the state of the world. More than 90% of depositions and hearings have now switched to remote uh, since COVID, since the pandemic. Uh, court here at depositions as well as hearings. You also have an evolution going on in the workforce. Um, shortages of stenographers around the country, uh, particularly in California, New York, and Florida. You're talking about in the state of California, just did a study, 300,000 cases will go without a record in 2023. And that's a conservative estimate because of the lack of certified shorthand court reporters. You also have artificial intelligence and machine learning, um, the rise and how it's been finally tuned for legal and how it's become more accessible from a cost and, again, just general accessibility point of view uh, for legal professionals. So let's talk quickly about uh, old world, slow and expensive court reporting. Veritex, Esquire, US Legal, all the major vendors all have a very similar and very common workflow. You pay for the reporter to show up. You don't get anything in return unless you order a certified transcript. Takes you know 10 to 14 business days. Again, costs typically 1.5 to twice as much if you want it faster than that. You also have the addition, if you ever look at your invoices, of really, really serious frivolous costs. Charge per page of exhibits, charge per page of the index. Now you have Zoom and litigation fees. And again, you have your human reporters that cough, that sneeze. Uh, you know, the, the standard for the National Core Reporting Association is 95%. I don't like the idea that as an attorney that, that five out of every hundred words is going to be wrong. So this idea that human uh, the human core reporters are infallible uh, does not have much support. Legacy core reporters also have failed to evolve with the way remote depots have done. With 90, 95% of depots being done remotely, now you have the ability to video every single deposition and get that extra piece of evidence, which is their body language, stutters, uh, you know, deep breaths, pauses, things like that. 
And the problem is, is that all these major vendors still are charging 150 or $200 an hour just to video your Zoom. God forbid you want to get it synced up or cut clips. It's huge, major, major costs to do all of that. Um, if you want something faster, again, still than the certified, you're paying extra 2 or $3 a page on top of that to get a real time to get a rough draft. So how are we using artificial intelligence? This is um, Parrot Technologies, um, and, and I'll share through Jay our uh, all of our contact information. Parrot.us is the best way uh, the best way to get to us. So the idea is is that we've evolved the oral stenography or steno mask technology. Using Zoom, we split um, a deposition or hearing up into multi-track audio, which allows us our technology to isolate the audio input. It's specifically built and fine-tuned for the legal domain. So what we provide is a 97% accurate transcript within 90 minutes of the proceeding being done. Um, that's for hearing, that's for deposition, that's for anything that you're doing. We can do hybrid as well if you want to do in-person. You can still order a certified transcript done by the court reporter that's present for the proceeding. But the idea is, is that within 90 minutes, you're getting a near verbatim transcript that you can um, that you can cut clips from, that you have video from, that you have audio from. You can, for example, do a cross-examination of a witness uh, in the morning and an hour and a half later, you can put up the audio and video of that cross-examination you're doing during trial or a hearing um, in your closing argument. The idea, right, wanted to show some quick screenshots of what it actually looks like in practice. So again, this is 90 minutes after your depot or hearing is done. You have access to this rough draft and you have audio and video side by side. You can click and play any word. But more than that, right, we actually provide auto-generated depot summaries. So as, so when you within 90 minutes of the deposition ending, uh, on the right side of the screen, you're going to see that you can edit it, you can... Um, you can edit it, uh, you can modify it, you can tag it, you can tag your colleagues at your law firm in it. But the idea is, is that you're not having to read through two, 300 page transcript anymore. You have the ability to very quickly go through the bullet points of the deposition or hearing. The big thing too, right? There's this major expense when it comes to doing video um, or cutting clips, doing designations for hearings, highlight reels um, that comes with uh, doing video. We do it for free. Um, it's it's technology. We've mastered it down to the point where we can provide it again within 90 minutes of the proceeding ending. You can cut clips, you can export it, save it to your files. And so the idea is, is that it's really just a huge like light years ahead of what you're getting from a normal court reporting vendor where you're just getting a paper transcript or PDF that you can search through. Um, and so again, you can, this is for, huge for evidence presentation. You could have closed captioning or not on it. It's up to you, but it doesn't cost anything. We provide it free. One of the newer things we've rolled out, um, is really just the sentimental sentiment analysis, um, of your case files, right? Which is if you, you could provide a fact pattern to us and we'll generate the depot questions for you. Um, you can provide the fact pattern and we'll start helping you. Our, our AI will help you with deposition strategy. And, and then again, uh, we also added, there's a pizza recommender, uh, widget within, within our app, if that's something that you're interested in as well, uh, regardless of your jurisdiction. So thank you very much, Jay, for the time. But again, we're working with is not this is not a new this is not a new product uh, in a sense. Um, we've been operational for about four years now. Um, we're working with five national insurance carriers as well as plaintiffs and defense firms across the country. Our certified transcripts have been used in trial, Eclipse, everything have been used in in multi million dollar complex litigation and arbitrations. So we are very much battle tested um, again and uh, and and used nationwide. So thank you very much for your time, and I'll uh, leave it to the next presenter. So congratulations, that's awesome, Eric. So you said that over 300,000 cases have absolutely no record because there's a shortage of court reporters? Sure, in the state of California, and that's in that's in a Senate bill that was recently introduced um, to, allow for, uh, to allow for electronic recording. I would say it's almost safe to say that 
most, if not all courthouses, state and federal, have now switched to digital or electronic recording of their hearings because of the crazy costs and almost impossibility to have someone come in person or be present in person for a hearing. That's awesome. And can you just give us a framework for the cost to sign on with Parrot AI? Sure. There's no seat or license fee. There's no subscription required. Um, It's $150 uh, for the deposition and you get access to a synced real time, a synced rough draft transcript within 90 minutes of the deposition ending or hearing ending even. And you get access to uh, auto-generated depo summaries, clip cutting um, and videography. And so again, this works for hearings as well. So I like to joke that I don't think I've ever gotten a, a proposed order from opposing counsel that was actually what the judge said. So with this tool, right, with this tool, you actually get access to the recording and you can respond back and say, well, here's the judge, you know, here's the judge saying 20,000 instead of 10,000, please modify your order uh, accordingly. And then what's the most practical application of it? Remote depositions, remote depositions, remote hearings. It's costs significantly less than working with a Veritex or an Esquire or U.S. Legal. There's no there's no cheesecake factory uh, price you know menu worth of prices on your invoice. It's very very simple. It's one line item. So remote depositions, remote hearings. Yeah. Um, I would say that our ideal customer profile uh, you know is insurance carriers, uh, but as well as uh, insurance defense and plaintiffs injury plaintiffs injury attorneys as well. You know property damage that kind of stuff. But anybody doing a deposition, anybody doing a deposition can, or a hearing, remote hearing can use it. Okay, great. So I like to take the chance to ask a few questions and then we will open up the whole panel for questions at the end. So I'm going to introduce our next speaker. And next on my slides in no particular order is Matt McClellan. And Matt is the co-founder of Hona. And as I mentioned, I spent the week, I met three of his folks last week at Great Legal Marketing. And Matt's uh, revolutionized how organizations connect and engage with stakeholders. And he's, you know, throughout his career, developed intuitive and efficient communication solutions. And that's kind of his thing. And so now one of the things they're great at is they created a client communications portal. And if I've heard this once, I've heard it a hundred times that the number one complaint people have about their attorneys, in particular personal injury attorneys, but, you know, every category of attorneys is they don't get updates. They don't know what's going on with their case. And so really this is designed to address that number one complaint. So without further ado, I'll uh, introduce Matt and allow him to share his screen. Thanks, Jay. I appreciate it. So our, our tagline is perfecting the client journey. As Jay mentioned, clients get frustrated with their attorneys and a lot of it's for no reason. Um, the attorneys have technology that helps them stay in alignment. Case management, which is my background, is so robust that you can go into any case and typically know just about where that case is in the process. And so what Hone has done is bridge the gap between the data that lives in your case management and what your clients actually experience. Now, we started with these theses. Clients want to be communicated with via SMS. If it's not automated, it's just not going to happen. Every law firm I've ever talked to pretty much says we have, you know, Client communication is one of our main goals, but a lot of them, it just doesn't end up happening because other priorities um, have to be hit. And so automation is really crucial to what we've built as well. Clients want to understand at least at a basic level, what's going on in their case. Things like chat GPT and Google are, are these mediums where people can get information really quickly. And so clients will look into the information or more, more likely they call and email in asking for, you know, basic questions about what's going on in their case. 
And additionally, clients and people in general, they want one central location where everything um, can be done and the interactions with the law firm are no different. Um, so a lot of what we've built ties back to those theses and I'll probably chat on those for a second, but here's how client expectations have shifted. You'll notice three technologies that probably all of you have dealt with. Uh, the Domino's pizza tracker, you know that you're getting your toppings put on your pizza and you're getting it either texted to the, to you or kind of in a, in a web interface. Amazon, they'll text you 10 steps before, like when they're 10 homes away from your house, they'll text you um, and let you know that you know it's almost there. UPS, so on and so forth. There's so many large corporations that have invested into technology that keeps clients updated. And because of that, our experience with these companies is really good and we wanna keep working with them and we're happy to work with them. So piece of that is proactive communication you know, one place for all those things. A lot of it's SMS driven. And then you give a consistent client experience. The average client experience is email. And email is not always the best medium to interact with your clients. It shows, this was a survey done by MailChimp, that 20.89% of legal industry emails are actually opened by clients or by people that are receiving the email. Clients also don't understand those complex services. And then beyond that, they're just used to those notifications. Clients' thoughts are typically, where's my case at? When am I going to receive my money? Is my attorney waiting on me? Or, God forbid, is my attorney even working? Um, they just don't understand the process. And so these, all these thoughts come to clients' minds, whether they're reaching out proactively to get these answers or not. Here's what our solution is. We tie directly into your case management software or a law firm's case management software, and you can set up triggers and you could say, hey, when it moves to this phase in my case management software, send this message. When it, this task is complete, send this message. Two-way texting. And so that same number that they're getting their updates from, they can just text back and you can have a conversation with them. We have a Google review feature that when it reaches a certain stage, you can automate those Google review requests to go out. Net promoter score surveys throughout the case, you can get a gauge on, you know, almost a temperature check. Forms, if you need to gather more information, you can build custom forms that all get delivered via this one platform. Explanations, FAQs, education, these are all really big things. Um, I'm actually going to briefly jump into my phone where I'll, I'll mirror uh, and show you what's going on as far as what it actually looks like live. This is the portal that when a trigger is hit, can send updates through. Pretty reminiscent of, of a Domino's pizza tracker or something like that but it'll pull in the name of the case. It'll pull in what phase they're in. And this is all customizable. So your logo goes up top. Videos get embedded of the attorney. You can do whatever you want as far as the educational aspects. Frequently asked questions. We added this feature a little, you know, a few months into the business going because our clients were saying, hey, we get the same 10 questions just about every case. Is there a way to get ahead of that? And so these FAQs, you can build them out to be phase specific or, you know, practice area specific, whatever it may be. And then we let the clients look forward because they want to know a lot of what's coming up in the future. And so you can build out as many phases as you want and do a lot of that stuff. Moving on here. By the way, you get a lot of tech points. If you can do a live demo of your phone, I love that. Oh, thank you. Appreciate it. We do it a lot. Automatic text messages based on completed tasks. Here's an example. Finish gathering medical records. If you click that complete, you can set it up to send this text message out. Hey, John, this is John with Big City Law. Just letting you know we've completed gathering all your medical records. We can now begin drafting your demand letter. There's nothing we need from you at this time. We'll be in touch if there's anything else. Thanks. So messages like that, that are actually, they're automated, obviously, but you can make it seem granular, A, because you're piping in the names of, of 
the attorney and of the client, but also it's actually getting fired off based on an action taken in the case management software. So those tasks get complete, messages can go off automatic, and it's all configurable to how the firm wants to do it. Here's some outcomes, some real outcomes from clients that we've been working with. And I'll also touch on, we're, we've been around just over two years. We're growing really quickly. We have a lot of really happy clients. And a lot of it comes because we've taken a very end consumer approach to the software. Because at the end of the day, our software is most successful if your clients are having good interactions with their law firm. And so we've built a lot kind of, yes, of course, we're automated and integrated really deep with your case management. But a lot of what we build is meant to you know, supplement and increase the client experience for your clients. And so just quickly, 74% reduction inbound calls from clients. This was a large firm. They had a receptionist staff of five people. And so 74% of inbound calls from clients were cut within 90 days of rolling out our, our system. A 70-employee law firm saves about 3.5 hours per employee per week after implementing HONA. This firm had really manual tasks to send updates and you know, information to clients. And a lot of that was automated, saving three and a half hours for actual legal work to get done. A law firm went from 48 reviews, 4.3 stars to 91 reviews in just three months out of 4.6 stars. And then it, one of our clients, this is kind of just interesting. They were able to consolidate three software tools into, into HONA, review management, a texting software, and also a form software was all able to be tied together into one. And as far as that goes, I, I will just say the, the tagline perfecting the client journey this is a mission. We, we love to hear feedback. We are always open to feedback from clients because technology is ever evolving. Um, we have some really cool AI features in the work, which since we kind of started with AI, I'll, I'll talk about. The AI will see the cadence and history of conversations with you and a client, and it can actually prompt you proactively to say, hey, it's been five days since this person had a question about this. Here's a, a suggested response you can give them. And so it'll, it'll speed up a lot of those client experience type pieces. And then also just suggested responses in general. If you get a text message in, our system can suggest, hey, here's three options of how to, how to respond to that. So taking away a lot of what you would normally type out or have to think and bringing it all into with artificial intelligence, making it happen. Well, that's really great. And I want to thank you both so far for staying on time. I know everybody's hustling through their slides, but everyone will appreciate it at the end. So a couple of things I heard is that clients want SMS communication. And basically, they want to know what's going on with their case. And if it's not automated, it doesn't happen. And people have much higher expectations now for communication because they can find out what toppings are going on their pizza. And, you know, we, we get that all the time. Like, hey, your, your order's packaged and your order's shipped and your order's in the truck and your truck's in your town. So we get that kind of communication. People want to know, uh, you know, when am I getting my money? Is the attorney waiting on me for something? Or is my attorney even working? I had an accident. I went through that during COVID. You know, I was not getting communication and I understood the frustration of the average consumer. And one of the things you said is, is really important, but really subtle. And you said that, you know, the reviews increased from, I forget the exact numbers, like from 41 to 90 in three months. But I think there's two really important factors. And people sometimes forget this. It's like, and I mentioned this earlier, like some firms are in constant improvement and they're running EOS or the entrepreneurial operating system and they've got really good systems. And guess what? Those firms get five-star Google reviews because they run well. If you don't run well and you don't communicate with your customers, you're going to ask them for reviews and you're going to get fewer reviews. Now that's obvious, 
But why is that so important? Well, we, we're always talking on these webinars and we're always talking to our clients about the importance of reviews. They're critical for Google Maps. They're now critical for the local service ads and they're critical for your overall SEO. I think what you're suggesting, Matt, is that the system improves the communication with the clients. They're not as frustrated and it asks for reviews, but you're going to get more five-star reviews because you communicate along the way. Am I summing that up correctly? Yeah, you're assuming it up great. And, and that's what I call a lagging indicator of, of your client experience being really good. And so up front, you're not going to get it. But as these clients really enjoy their experience with you, a couple of things happen. One, your Google reviews shoot up, which helps in all the ways you just mentioned. But also they're more likely to refer you clients and be like an advocate for your firm. I recently heard it, heard something where the guy said, turn your clients into raving fans. And I think that's so great. Like they are salespeople all out. Like you can't hire that many salespeople, but if you give and deliver a great experience, that's basically like enlisting a hundred, hundreds of salespeople out there advocating for your brand. By the way, I grew up with raving fans because the book was written in Canada and it slowly spread. And now, you know, 30 years later or whatever, I don't know how old the book is. We use that term, but look it up. I think the guy was from Calgary. One more quick question before we uh, move on to Patrice. And this is a little tricky sometimes. What number do you use for texting? Because a lot of times, like the attorneys text directly, and other times it can be confusing because you're getting a text from the firm. And have you guys figured out how to have the firm name? And what if you get a text from the paralegal or the attorney? Yeah, so I'll make this brief. We have a fully built out like two-way texting software. And so they're able to actually go into our app and send text to anybody um, and as far as the, so, so a paralegal and the attorney can send from the same phone number on their different computers. So that's one, one way we've tackled that. And then beyond that, we, we can choose local numbers, um, which is usually what we'll do. We'll do a local number that has an area code for, for their, where they're located. Um, but additionally, some firms like to use it more in mass and that way we'll, we'll buy them like a toll-free number that allows them to send out things more in mass and use it for marketing. And so a couple answers to that, but but the gist of it is most of our clients no longer are texting from their personal cell phone, which is great because then they don't have your personal cell phone number and they consolidate it all into our software. Awesome. Well, great job. Thank you. I'm going to introduce Patrice now. We were introduced by Steve Nudelberg and Steve did an awesome, uh, one of our past webinars on building your business. Like we called it the Rainmakers webinar. And Steve's a great connector. And so he connected me with Patrice. And then Patrice and I immediately, you know, referred each other to two or three different people. And she actually introduced us to Matt. So thank you for that. So she is an awesome legal connector. And for, uh, she'll tell us the details, but 15 or 20 years, she was at one of the top case management software firms in the industry. And I think she told me there's over 50 different case management firms. So I asked her to sort through um, case management for us and talk about, you know, what a firm should look at when selecting a case management and then how do they get it done. So uh, hopefully I summed that up well, Patrice, and we'll hand it over to you. Thanks, Jay. I was with TrialWorks Case Management for uh, 17 years. We had a new investment group come into the business and we merged with Needles and became Assembly Software, which now offers Neos Case Management as a web-based software program. I had great opportunities to be able to work with firms to be able to change the workflows, productivities, and efficiencies of their firm. And 
what I offer now for legal pad business consulting is to be able to help firms with uh, the whole concept of successful software implementation and to bring firms into the 21st, 25th century, wherever we're going to go to be able to adopt software uh, successfully. So digital transformation means a lot of things to a lot of people, a lot of different things. And what I've seen with uh, digital transformation is that in the legal community, it was a word that became highly visible and only in the last five years. And so why is that important today? It's important because it was 20 years ago that federal and state courts actually started requiring documents to be filed electronically. So what does that mean for software implementation? And so what we see is really mind-blowing. For the idea that 70% of software implementation fails because of employee resistance or lack of support um, is something that unfortunately I saw repeatedly. And believing that new software was going to be introduced without consideration of staff processes was one of the easiest way to actually kill a project on the first day. Not planning a realistic timeframe for the change management required for the workflows and processes and cost of implementation, purported loss of promised uh, feature functionality now accounts for 84% of implementation failures. And 31% of the projects just never even get off the ground. The software and cost of supporting the software is all done and finalized, and yet those projects never, ever move forward because of a poor implementation plan. So why do so many implementation projects fail? You know, to begin with, the scope is not considered. So many times you see that the budget that had been set aside for the purchase of new software was only uh, designed to look at the per user cost. And you never considered the software vendors implementation fees that now could range between five and $25,000, depending on the size of your organization. Most of the case management programs have gotten to where they actually separate these fees. It used to just really all be bundled in together for the cost, but now you actually see these as separate line items. You know, unrealistic expectations were believing that the software was going to automatically improve the productivity and solve a lot of the problems and complaints that had been brewing with staff members. So that was an immediate recipe for disaster. And then the lack of onboarding and training. You know, any software introduced requires instruction, documentation, and support. And training should actually continue and be ongoing for six to eight months after adopting new software. And then just the poor change management accounts for the highest requirement of attrition. That's the one area that I see that most firms had failed at. And so if you can put together a good implementation plan, you can avoid poor change management. And then lack of due diligence what was the requirements for what you were trying to solve? 
you know, creating a requirements documentation so that you can evaluate programs and then actually modifying that plan is really what you need to do to be able to be successful with your software implementation. So benefits of a well-crafted plan, you know, definitely making a plan in advance, uh, clarifying the goals and develop a plan of action, sticking to the timeframes, making sure that you plan for trials or any other holidays and vacation plans to be able to keep the project on time. Being able to stick to the budget. That's one of the, the biggest things that we saw that many times folks just hadn't planned correctly. You know, as you're doing your investigation and you're demoing different case management programs, you'll find that every once in a while, all of a sudden you have a, a firm that you really are interested in, and yet it's going to take you 20% of your budget. Well, maybe you need to just take a step back and do a financial uh, consideration about the investment and be able to make a determine based on the current and future incomes. Uh, use milestones to track the progress. There are most, most case management project team members, they have their set of milestones and you should have your set of milestones. It's designed to be able to keep both of you again on track and to your goal of implementing the software. Uh, if the plan is being managed by mid-level management, make sure you have regular check-ins so that you get upper management adoption. And you will then uh, find that with the support of your upper management, you have better employee adoption. Uh, create a communication structure so that you can work through the implementation plan making sure that uh, everyone is apprised of the progress and the deadlines to avoid misunderstanding and skipped staff involvement. That's really key for me. So features of case management. And Jay, thank you for allowing me to come and use my expertise in all of the development of software as we've seen in the last 20 years. And, and these really are the basic features that every program that you look at should have included. So you want to think about document and email management. You want to make sure that there is document automation to be able to certainly help with the demands of a caseload by the paralegals and legal assistants. You want to uh, have automated calendaring and track case dates and deadlines. I know that this is one of the hardest things to be able to, you know, as, as Matt discussed about different phase of a case to be able to tie in maybe communication with your customer, you want to be able to make sure that the staff members who are responsible are actually marking case dates and deadlines as being completed. You want to track case medical and other financial consideration. The idea that you have your case costs, you have medical expenses that you're trying to track um, that actually gave you values uh, of, of your case uh, that you're managing for your client and anything else that would be a consideration on the financial valuation of a case. My advice is that every firm should be tracking time and you want to track time for, for both efficiency and for billing purposes where appropriate. 
knowing how much time uh, an employee has invested in a case allows a firm to be able to make decisions on uh, efficiency in assigning tasks and maybe actually accepting cases. Track projecting settlement amounts and dates. You wanna, you wanna make sure that you have the ability to be able to estimate cash flow, firm case uh, cash flow management uh, by using projections for case amounts and dates. Uh, you wanna make sure that you're able to track multiple matters for a single client, whether that's on the corporate side or on the individual side. Uh, you wanna have the ability to be able to collaborate with outside and referral counsel whether that's really collaboration on document creation or to be able to have certain uh, functions of the case handled by an outside counsel like trial, you want to be able to, to transfer the information to them easily. And then there's basic analytics and reporting. You know, what's available as the basics? You should be uh, tracking case data information uh, deadlines, and then productivity. So now that you've thought about your implementation plan and you know what uh, the basics of the case management software that you're looking for, uh, in today's world, you have two choices. You have cloud software and you have on-premise software. So how do you choose between which one is the best for you? Cloud software is going to give you the flexibility of being able to access that software from anywhere on any computer or tablet. So that certainly enables you to be able to travel more frequently and not have to carry equipment around with you. You also have scalability. You can uh, use features up and down depending on the needs of the firm um, and be able to turn that on, on or off through customization processes. The cost of required hardware infrastructure and maintenance is greatly reduced when you have cloud software. So what's the benefits of having on-premise software? You have security and you're totally in control with your own server. Certainly our cybersecurity gentleman is going to be able to help us on some of the justifications possibly for having on-premise software. But your performance, maybe you're in an area of the country that's limited and internet and performance on your internet. And so you need to be able to run software locally. And then desktop features. Sometimes depending on your practice, there are some features that are available only in an on-premise software. Um, and so cloud equivalents are not able to be able to offer that type of customization, but that's getting to be less and less. And so finally, once after you've chosen your case management, one of the things that I can do to help you, whether it's to help you create your implementation plan, to be able to help you evaluate the right case management software program for your firm, my services are to be able to put together that solid implementation plan that's going to give you the ability to be successful and to be able to have happy staff on the first day that you go live. And I'm happy to offer to today's attendees a free 15-minute consultation. Um, we can work together to be able to have a better understanding of what your firm needs to be able to see how I can help you with your implementation plan. Thanks, Pat. That was great. And uh, you got through a lot real quick. So thank you. 
And I, I'm going to save a couple questions for you and get right to Amir. And Amir, his task today is to try and help keep us all out of trouble. And uh, his company, Blue Light IT, is a leading cybersecurity firm. And we've all heard about the casinos getting hacked and cities getting hacked. And they hold those folks up for uh, Bitcoin payouts uh, in order to get all the data back. So um, with that, Amir, tell us how to stay safe, please. Yes. Good afternoon, everyone. I, I want to start by thanking Jay, uh, Matt, Eric, and Patrice all spoke beautifully about uh, AI and automation and data collection and digital transformation. And all these things lead us to one place. And that one place is how do we protect all this data? So attorneys and cybersecurity, how do we stay protected? I really, really, really hope right now that I don't have to explain anyone why cybersecurity is important, but uh, we can start. Things have changed. Cyber attacks are way up. Everybody's a target. The real question is, if you get hit by a cyber attack, would you know what to do? Who would you call? How would you handle this? Hackers find legal uh, lawyers' information gold. They love lawyers. They love hacking lawyers. And let's find out why. Why do hackers want your data? Most lawyers keep highly sensitive data. We, we're all familiar with uh, client attorney privileges, uh, confidential information. I just want to tell a quick story. I got a call from a, a divorce attorney uh, probably last year sometime. Uh, they were hacked and uh, he asked us what to do. We couldn't really help much, but we realized he has a backup plan. And we said, just restore from backup. Everything is good, which they did. His uh, IT guy worked for three days straight and managed to recover everything. And then he did one thing which uh, nobody was happy about. He sent an email back to the hackers and he told them, um, you're not going to see a cent from us. He used uh, not so nice words in the communication with them. He told them, we restored it from backup and you're not going to get any money from us. In return, on a Friday morning, all the partners in the firm received an email with a very high profile uh, divorce case they were running at the time. All the documents revealing, all the sensitive documents revealing exactly what the husband has and um, um, all the internal investigations that they did between themselves, which was obviously privileged. And they said, if we're not going to get paid, and they tripled the ransom request, if we're not going to get paid that, we're going to send this information over to the attorneys of the wife. Obviously, none of us want to be in that situation. We, we see a lot of lawyers get hacked. The uh, damage to the reputation is irreparable uh, most of the time. How do they do this? Hackers do it, you know, in many, many ways. Sometimes they are just lucky and they stumble upon an open network that is easily hackable. They will send you phishing attacks. Phishing is an email that pretends to be from one person and it's actually not from that person. Stolen, stolen passwords. If you uh, ever registered on a website and you gave your email address and a password, that gets uh, that website gets hacked. You um, and you reuse the same password somewhere else. They will use that email address and password in multiple places. Uh, we see uh, we see a lot of wire fraud for lawyers, where it's called a business email compromise. They send they hack your email. They live inside your email. 
they wait for you to send an invoice or to receive a request for payment, and they pretend to be the other side and say, please wire the money to this bank account, not to that bank account. Um, one, is, one of the biggest dangers that we find with uh, lawyers is infected documents. You get an email from somebody who says, hey, can you, can you represent me? All the information is in the PDF uh, document or the Word or the Excel or whatever file it is. The file is loaded with a virus or malware. You open up the file and you've infected your computer. We have insurance for these things, right? The question is, do you have cybersecurity insurance? If you do, think to yourself, how will it help protect your reputation? Because once you get hacked, you get hacked. The All the insurance will do is give you money if they will give you that money. Like we know, insurance companies don't like to pay out money and they will find everything they can to not pay that money out and they will claim gross negligence. One example I can give you is in the form that you fill out for cybersecurity insurance, they ask you, do you have two-factor authentication enabled? And most people will go to their IT guys and say, can you enable two-factor authentication? And they will put two-factor authentication on emails, but on nothing else. So when somebody logs into a server, there's no two-factor. When somebody logs into the website, there's no two-factor. And when that happens, they'll come in and say, well, we don't know exactly where they came in from, but you said you have two-factor authentication, but, in but you don't. So we're going to reject the claim. Um, insurance pays. If they do decide to pay you, they'll pay you money back. They will not guarantee the recovery, recovery of the data. Um, how do we solve this? Okay. So what you need to do is you need to have a cybersecurity risk assessment. Another way to call a risk assessment is a gap analysis. It's basically where you are, where you need to be, and what is the gap. There is um, two issues that go together with uh, cybersecurity risk assessment. One is you have a fiduciary, fiduciary duty to keep the data safe, and um, you probably fall on, under some sort of compliance that you need to work through. The beauty about my business and why I enjoy this so much is we wake up to a new reality every morning. Today's tech is going to be old tomorrow, and the technology that we're going to be using in our business in six months' time hasn't been invented yet. It uh, keeps us on our toes all the time. Hackers are changing their ways constantly, just like criminals find different ways to, uh, to steal uh, from unsuspecting consumers or from companies. Um, my suggestion to you is make sure you are doing everything in your power to mitigate risk. At the minimum, enable two-factor authentication and, and um, increase your privacy setting to the maximum. Invest in a great MSSP. MSSP is a managed services security provider. It's an IT company that focuses solely on cybersecurity. Um, they leave the cyber world and they know exactly what's going on. And just like Matt uh, mentioned earlier, AI is great when used by you, but at the end of hackers uh, could pose a serious threat to your security. That's awesome. Thank you so much. I did note a couple questions for you, and I'm going to come back to you right after sure. Ken, and we go to a panel. Next up is Ken Cousy, and he is the visionary force behind Longest Tail AI. And I recently met Ken, and he was showing us um, how they're using AI for search engine optimization. 
So with that, I'll turn it over to Ken and uh, he will be our last presenter and then we'll open up for questions. Thanks, Jake. All right, thanks everyone for being here. So yes, I'm the founder and president of Longest Tail AI. Uh, we are a AI SEO company where we've built a platform to generate articles and get uh, visitors to your website. So I've been working in SEO and lead generation for 15 years now and working around with AI for about three and consistently running people, hey, I need to grow my business. I need steady growth. Ads work for a few months and then go off. You know, SEO has always been reliable from what I found. It's just a big upfront investment and a long-term commitment and for firms that are really thinking long-term. So you want a lot of leads, you want them quickly. Um, so we found a way to use AI to kind of pull that SEO speed forward by targeting long tail terms. So I figure most people here know about AI. Uh, there's been a lot of talks that you guys have done about them and you're here to grow your firm. So I'm gonna skip through some of that stuff and just talk about how our tech works and then go through some numbers for what we're seeing with results. So long tail search terms make up the vast majority of searches every day. Uh, any given industry, it's gonna be 80 to 90% of the searches. So if someone searched for personal injury attorney, nine people search for something very specific, like what happens when I get rear-ended on I-40 by a FedEx driver? And that's where a lot of the traffic is and a lot of the really focused traffic. So these people know what they're looking for. Uh, they've been through a few searches already. They've done some research and the numbers show that. Uh, we see much, much higher click-through rates, uh, usually 2x higher than uh, on a volume term. And then we see about two and a half X on the conversion rate. So once we get them to your site, they are much more likely to get uh, fill out your conversion form and get connected with you. So now you got a problem. Uh, there's a bunch of these keywords out there, uh, usually about 2,500 per vertical. And we find that localizing them gives us much better results. So now if we're targeting 10 metros in a state times 2,500 keywords, that's 25,000 articles we would have to write. A uh, good SEO article is going to cost you $1,000 or so on average. Uh, I don't think anyone wants to make that kind of investment. So we figured out how to do this with AI. And our solution has been, we've built a team of agents. And you can think of these, each of these agents like an employee. We've given them a personality, given them instructions, given them access to different tools. And it's kind of like using ChatGPT, but without anyone prompting it individually to do what it's supposed to do. So we have keyword research agents, uh, web scraping, article summaries, even ones that create images. And they literally all work together. They post in our Slack channel, they talk, uh, and they solve problems together. So to give a quick example here, uh, if you were a personal injury firm in Illinois, there are about 166,000 searches per month for related terms. And about 30, 35,000 of those can go to the top 70 terms or the volume terms. But that leaves 132,000 searches divided up amongst about 2,500 other keywords. So our bot figures out which keywords it wants to rank for based on difficulty and search volume. And then we search that term. We go in and we grab the top three articles that are ranking and we break them down. We create an outline. We figure out what each article is covering, um, what H2s, H3s, they have images, they have tables, what makes them all up. And then we create an outline from that to say, well, this is what our article should look like based on the other ones that are ranking. And we use this as our basis for what we call our outrank article. And we're gonna write an article that's on average about 20, 25% longer than the top ranking content and includes everything that they're all including and just a little bit more. And then we run that through Google's quality, search quality guidelines 
and their helpful content guidelines to make sure that we've seen why the other articles or where the shortfalls are in the other articles and make sure ours has those things fixed. And it's just another little piece to help us outrank them. So then we write the article. Uh, everything was done by our uh, agents, title, uh, author, images, block quotes, tables, it does everything. And generally we're seeing ranking on articles in three to four weeks and getting traffic to them. And we do this either on your existing website or we'll build custom sites for you. And some of our aggressive clients are doing both or multiple sites. To, uh, then we've partnered with Intaker. I'm sure most people here have at least heard of them. We've built our own chatbot, but we found that Intaker had a really good front end and back end for integrating with uh, clients' work. And so we've added our custom qualifying questions to the Intaker process. Because uh, to us, a lead is not name, email, phone number. It's name, email, phone number, and a series of qualifying questions to make sure they're actually a valid customer before we pass them over to you. So Intaker is included with all of our packages. So to break down some numbers, just kind of give you an idea of how we're going to generate leads and traffic for you. If there are 132,000 searches per month, uh, our plan is that within six months, we've got visibility on about 2,600 of those searches. And of course, it's SEO, so that's a ramp up over that time. But our goal is at least 2% in that six-month period. Uh, we assume a 50% click-through rate, which is below, or below industry standard, but that would get us 1,320 visits. And then we assume a 10% conversion rate, which is well below that 2 point, uh, that 25% that some people can see. But that would get us to about 130 leads per month in that six-month period. So if anyone has any questions, I'd uh, love to take a meeting with you. And you can get my email here or reach out to Jay. No, that's great, Ken. Thank you. You know, it's so fascinating, and I'm sure we all want to learn a lot more about it. You said you trained the six agents. So you basically created AI versions of six roles that, that would be like in a traditional SEO team. And then they're asking you questions in Slack. So I, yep. that's what I, the one I wanted to hear about first. Yeah, so if they run into a problem, uh, they would post about it in Slack and say, hey, uh, what should I do here? And they can actually take whatever you give them and change what they're doing based on that. And there's more than six. We've got project managers in there. We've got all kinds of stuff that run different uh, roles. And so the AI is actually asking questions. Yes. And so uh, they, if you've played around with agents at all, they tend to get into loops. And so what we found is that by having them hit certain points where if they see something happen three times, they post in Slack and say, this is the result I'm getting, and we can respond in Slack, and it will change what instructions they have. We love Intaker, by the way. Puya is, is still the leading. We've been doing these, these uh, monthly webinars for about four years, and he's been on twice. So he's, he's I think, tied for the lead in um, <laughs> appearances on, on the uh, 10 Golden Rules webinar series. All right. I uh, promised Patrice a question, and I've got one for Amir, and then we'll uh, we'll open things up. Uh, Patrice, I think you said there's 54, or I, I, you've counted so far, different case management softwares out there. And what are like the top three factors firms should explore when they're trying to determine which, if they're switching, you know, they made a decision, they're switching case management software. What, what are like the top three things that they should look at? You know, I think the truth is, is that, you know, I went over the basics of what you should expect to be in a program, and those should just be assumed that they're there. And so, you know, it depends on if the firm is into analytics or if the firm is into some specialty type of law like immigration or uh, homeowners collections that needs to have some different functionality. 
But for the most part, you know, the automation portions of a case management program, I think, should really be considered and the usability of it. And so that means you got to get your staff involved. It can't just be the managing partner that's making the decision without knowing how the staff functions uh, in their roles. And so how many things can you get automated um, to be included in the software that you're looking at? But that that's one of the things that like drew me to Hona was how much automation then could be given to that program to take that workload off of staff. So I think that's really important. That's great. Amir, you know, you mentioned the importance of second factor authentication, and we've really run into a challenge with second factor authentication because everything wants second factor authentication now, and they want it like every 10 days. And so a lot of it's falling on on my plate because I have the email and the cell phone. You know, what's the best way for firms to deal with that? Because I find it's also, you know, it's almost at the point now where it's a, it's a negative because there's so much second factor authentication that, you know, someone could ask me for a login, I'll just give it to them. I don't even look at what it is anymore. So what's the workaround there? So if I hear you correctly, you have one login, one username, one password, and one two-factor authentication, and everything comes to you. That in itself poses a security because really, if we compare that and we make an analogy to real life, you have one key to the office, and every time somebody wants to go in, you have to give them the key. Ideally, what you should have is a key for every person. Each person has its own unique key. So whatever platform you use that you need to give people access, you should have a username and a password per person, and that person is going to have their own two-factor authentication. By doing that, if anything goes wrong with the platform, you're going to have a log of some sorts that's going to say, John, who logged in at 7.42 on Wednesday, deleted the file or planted something or did something malicious, and now you know who's doing that. When they're all using your username and password and something goes wrong, all fingers are being pointed at you. So, yeah, two things. It could become a pain. Um, I can tell you that um, for those of us who use Microsoft uh, 365 as the email platform, correctly configured, they've just launched a, what they call a web login, where um, you don't even need to supply a password. You put in your email address, your phone will beep with the code. You'll have to enter the code on the screen and you are logged in. Um, so, so yes, the big tech companies know and understand the pains, but you, the solution to your specific question is to have individual accounts for everyone. Yeah, we, I mean, we definitely have different logins and passwords for every product we use, like every software product. But some of the software products, it's very expensive to have multiple users. So, in that how case, about LastPass? Do you like something like that? We LastPass is uh, is a no word in our industry. Um, they've been hacked multiple times, and every time they got hacked, they said we didn't lose any data. And then the second time, we say we only lost we only lost partial data, but nobody can get it if they don't have that special key. And eventually, eventually, the one of the developers' home was hacked, and they managed to retrieve the missing key to open the the lock. There is a software we use called Keeper Security. You can share records between uh, each one. The, the Keeper platform is uh, zero knowledge. 
In other words, the platform itself has no idea what's inside the vaults. Um, the only way for you to know what it is is to provide a, sp a special key. Um, so there's full-on encryption. Um, you can share records within Keeper security of username, password, and two-factor authentication, which will prevent you from uh, uh, having to give somebody the 2FA every time. And within Keeper, within the password management system itself, there is a log that says, Eric accessed this log at this day, at this time, Matt accessed it in uh, uh, yesterday at 7, and Patrice used it at uh, yesterday at 8 o'clock in the morning, and Ken has never used it. Uh, so you have some sort of a log. And the, that's Keeper, K-E-E-P-E-R? K-E-E-P-E-R, Keeper Security. Okay, great. Well, we'd be happy to take some questions. So you can go through the chat, the Q&A, the LinkedIn uh, questions. So please post any questions you have for the panel now. I had a couple more. So unless I see questions coming in quickly, I'm going to jump in. For Eric, uh, tell us more about the Pizza Recommender app. <laughs> So, um, you know, it, uh, what it does is it compiles thousands of pizza reviews and, uh, <laughs> that's the great, this is the question I get, uh, it just compiles thousands and thousands of pizza reviews from the various, uh, uh, pizza rating apps and Yelp and different websites and tells you based on, you know, what kind of pizza you're looking for and based on the juris location and jurisdiction and city, uh, uh, what is the best, what pizza uh, restaurant is best suited for you. So you don't tap into Dave Portnoy's uh, bar stool, or it does all. My buddy it, Craig has uh, worstpizza.com. It scrapes all of them, but we thought that'd be a fun widget to add to the legal technology that we're also providing. Jared asked, "What are passkeys? Are they better than passwords?" Because we are living in an evolving world, the AI guys will be happy to tell you that whatever uh, was true yesterday is not true today anymore, and things change so rapidly. Um, so passkeys have multiple definitions. Passkeys could either be hardware keys, where you have a little USB stick or, or a ring on your finger, um, and you can put it in to authenticate that you are who you say you are. Uh, passkeys can also be two-factor authentication. Uh, they are different to passwords, and eventually, what I mentioned about Microsoft implementing the two-factor authentication via their app, is very similar to Paskey's. I hope, uh, Gerald, that it answers your question and you're more than invited to contact me after the show and ask any other question if you have. Okay, next question's from Boaz. Can you please ask Amir to elaborate on what's included in the CSRA? Sure, so the cybersecurity risk assessment, like I mentioned before, is a gap analysis. Um, it's a two-step process. The first step is we sit down and we interview the stakeholders, the key stakeholders, so that will be the partners, the CFO, uh, uh, management on the ground, and we ask them about the role of technology in their business um, so that we understand what it is that there that is happening with regards to technology inside the company. Usually what we find when we do when we do the interview section is that the partners say, well, we have a backup. We back up every day to the cloud and, and we have a recovery time of three hours and whatever the case is. And then when we speak to the IT guy or to management, they say, no, we don't have the budget to back up. Uh, the budget was cut because we needed to do ABC or whatever the case is. So we find gaps uh, between the people working in the, in the organization. And the second step of the risk assessment is a technical risk assessment where we 
emulate an attack on the company from the inside, from the outside, on their websites, on every single piece um, that is available and visible to the world, to the world. And uh, we develop a risk profile and we show them, look, you have 60 computers or 12 computers. Uh, six of them don't hasn't had Windows updates in three months. Three of them have old software. Right now we are doing a risk assessment for, for a, um, a real estate law firm. And uh, they have eight computers and three of them are completely vulnerable. I mean, if somebody coughs in the office, the computer will get hacked. Um, and then we present those findings in a, in a meeting. We show them the risk and uh, let them make a decision how they want to manage the, the risk. Okay, great. Um, question from Ted for Ken. Um, the Google has the new PAA people also ask section. How does your software address answering questions in SEO? Yeah, so we are also grabbing those frequently asked questions and we're incorporating FAQs uh, through proper schema markup into our articles and then also onto our websites in general. So yeah, we're constantly uh, monitoring those uh, questions and hopefully our site's going to get started showing up and getting listed in those also. What, what do you think the secret is to get listed in those PAAs? Proper schema markup. Uh, there's a lot of technical stuff that goes into it. We did a trial with a mass tort client and we ranked 300 articles on the first page of Google in 30 days. And we managed to get about 10% of those uh, to number one and in a knowledge box. And I think it was a combination of the proper schema markup combined with a bit of authority that their site already had. Uh, not that they had a lot of pages before, but mostly baking it something that Google can actually read. That's wild. Uh, next question's from Carol and it's for Patrice. Can you tell us about how to do implementation for a new case management software? It's uh, always so much work and so much complexity from what I've heard. It can be. Certainly, um, that's one of the things that obviously I come in to be able to help firms with. But you just have to really have a good understanding of what every department and what the functionality is for individuals. For instance, I was able to uh, tell a firm that I'm working with that how they actually had their staff doing check requests and what the bookkeeper then did as, as completing that process to be able to identify that that check had been written was going to have to change. Every bit of it was going to have to change, which on its face maybe sounds like a little item but it really was contrary to what the firm believed was the right way of identifying that a check had been written and paid. So there are simple things that are like that that are skimmed over as really not going to be important that really causes the staff themselves to put a wrench in it. And that I think that in all implementation, and that's what we saw continuously, if the staff wasn't involved and there was really no consideration because the attorneys had made all the decisions and they didn't really know how the staff did their job, then there was going to be frustration and problems. And the worst thing that I hear now is for an attorney to say, I have no idea what my staff does. Like, yeah, stuff just gets done, but I have no idea what they do. So again, that's the functionality of a good case management software program because it's keeping track of all your documents and deadlines and all the other details that you need for a case, 
you can actually see which staff members are are working the hardest and and you can reward them. You can use that certainly as a source of being able to help maybe somebody who's struggling because they're a visual learner or a documentation learner, but you've got to actually support your staff in any type of technology change. There's thousands and thousands and thousands of law firms that still use software that's 35 to 40 years old. So. Yikes. Um, Another question for Matt. You said that there's a 74% reduction in inbound calls when people use the software. Can you expand on that? And what's the benefits to the firm besides the obvious? Yeah. So that was one firm who had like really robust call tracking software where they were dispositioning every single phone call that came in for months before. But yeah, so client inbound calls are very common. Sometimes it's simple. Where's my case at? Sometimes it's, you know, whatever it may be. Um, But the firm that we did that case study with specifically large volume and we're dispositioning their calls before. That's the only way we were able to track and have that data. Okay, great. And then uh, let's do one last question. Again, it's uh, from Jerry Parker. Eric, did I hear you say the total cost for deposition using your technology is $150? Is that total? Is that per side? Uh, What if the parties want a certified transcript? Do you have certified staff for every state? Yes, uh, thank you for the question. So I could certainly follow up when we have a bit more time with specific pricing. Um, it's 150 uh, is going to cover the the first hour and the appearance fee for the court reporter, as well as for the rough draft, the real time, the clip cutting, and the videography. Um, if you want a uh, if you want a certified that the that the reporter will be able to obviously certify and is admissible in court, um, that is extra. But the huge efficiency piece of this, right, is that we know the number more than 90% of cases do not go to trial or not going to serious litigation. So this gets you within 90 minutes, gets you a, a near verbatim transcript, um, and you never have to order a certified um, unless the case is proceeding to a serious hearing or trial and you want to attach the transcript. The whole goal, right, is, is that you need to do your depot summary, your case prep, um, and you need to see what happens. And we give you the ability to click and play any part of the proceeding um, to get a verbatim transcript. Um, and there's no takedown fee. There's no no write fee. That doesn't exist with us. Um, it's all very much about being efficient. Awesome. Well, thank you all so much for being here. You all did a great job and your slides were great. And you stayed on time. And for those of you listening to this sometime in the future on, on YouTube, and we've got, uh, as I mentioned, you know, tens of thousands of people coming in every month. So I know there'll be a lot of you. Uh, the, all the contact information will be down below in the YouTube and please get a hold of our panelists and and give them some business. And I want to thank you all for being here and everyone. uh, That's it. Bye everyone. Thank you for listening to the 10 golden rules of internet marketing for law firms podcast. Please send questions and comments to podcast at 10 golden rules.com. That is podcast at T E N golden rules.com. 